Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hello, Don. And our correspondent, Allison Trowbridge. Nice to see you, Don. That was very professional. Well, thank you. I'm trying to up the very... professionalism of the podcast. Well, I don't think that's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do much. They say while well, holding their Maker's Mark drinks. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, JJ does have a little bit of Maker's Mark in his drink. No. I do not. No, Ali you know. does not because no. some of us care about and respect our audience. <laughs> I'm celebrating life with our audience. That's what I'm going to do. It is so. a Thursday afternoon, it's but Thursday it feels like a Friday. It's been a, it's been a fun week. We don't, so, we don't make a habit of this. No, we but, do not. Uh, occasionally but. it does happen. Speaking of being professional, yeah. today's topic is entrepreneurship and how there are a bunch of myths surrounding it and how a lot of the myths surrounding being an entrepreneur, if you have those characteristics, the myth-like ones, you're probably actually not a very good entrepreneur. <laughs> and what you actually need is an ounce of professionalism mm-hmm. and some management skills and some people skills and some discipline. That yeah. being an effective entrepreneur is actually a little more boring than you thought. <laughs> yeah. And so there you go. We don't even need to play the well, interview. I, <laughs> Thanks for summing it up for us, Don. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ali, you had a chance to talk to Mark Van Tresca, who's an associate professor of strategic management, which I think is kind of amazing because when I think of an entrepreneur, I think somebody who's a little bit of a kind of a cowboy rebel that's like out there has to hustle like every you know they've got all this creativity and all this energy and he comes from a different perspective on entrepreneurship yeah well and it was so fun being back at oxford interviewing him I never thought I'd say this, but I actually just wanted to start the MBA all over again. I was like, can I please just come take your class? I kind of almost started getting distracted in the interview because, you guys, he is so intelligent and his content is so fascinating. I was like, I just want to sit in the back of the classroom and listen to you all day. But yeah, we went through the myths of entrepreneurship, which, you know, we think of being an entrepreneur as having this kind of heroic glamorous element to it but it used to be back in the day that was like kind of idea of mom my boyfriend's an entrepreneur meaning he doesn't have a job you yeah. know it used to be this <laughs> the, negative the, the, the words no father ever wants to hear especially if that father is an entrepreneur <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we've kind of swung the other direction culturally and now everyone wants to be an entrepreneur but maybe that's not the best thing. And maybe you actually need to be an innovator in the systems of your company. Well, you know, it's interesting. I would have pushed back at the initial sort of introduction or summary of this episode. And yet the more you described it, the more I realized, oh, I have entrepreneurial instincts. I think all of us do. Al, you certainly do, starting your own company. But that's not actually what makes the company succeed. What makes the company succeed is your ability to sort of learn about your liabilities and sort of strengthen in your liabilities which are day-to-day discipline, focus on one thing for a long period of time, the ability to get along with people, and my real entrepreneurial friends, the ones who are constantly coming up with ideas, new book ideas, a screenplay idea, a business idea, they never get any of it done yeah. because they have so many <laughs> entrepreneurial instincts that they don't have any of the like, hey, dude, it's a farming technique. You get the hoe, you go out there, you, yeah. you break the ground, you plant the seed, you water it. And, you know, that's how it works. And I think he's on to something. That's the best analogy I've ever heard you give. Don, I heard you say that once about writing, about everyone thinking that you just kind of do the harvest and you talking about <laughs> doing the long-term work of like just sitting in the garden all day. Yeah. By the time your book is out, and Al, you know this with 22, the time the book is out, 
you sort of care because you want to promote it, but you actually already started the next book. It's like, yeah. got to get seeds in the ground for the next harvest. And yeah. I do think, though, Allie, would you agree, after talking with Mark, that there does have to be some sort of entrepreneurial spark that might not exist in a person who's wired as middle management? And and I would even classify it maybe as part delusion. Like you're actually, you're so delusional, you think this thing can happen and it kind of gets you there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I actually say that sometimes when I'm explaining like my company idea to people, I actually say, I feel like there's a wire that didn't get connected at birth because I feel, I, I feel like this, like I'm hearing this and I'm like, this sounds super risky and scary and terrible, but I'm just like, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> That's gotta be part of it. Yeah. That's got to be part. I mean, can you imagine Elon Musk sitting around going, we're going to put somebody on Mars. Yeah, and I'm only going to be concerned with systems. <laughs> yeah, he's got, you know, <laughs> right. but in order to put somebody on Mars, That's what he's got to have the systems in place and so be able true. to get the right people in the right places to accomplish these big, huge visions. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of myths associated with entrepreneurship and they're no good to us. We want to face the entrepreneurial journey honestly. That's going to be the key to our success. So this is a great interview. Mark Ventresca is the Associate Professor of Strategic Management at Oxford University, of which Allie Trowbridge is a grad. I sure <laughs> am. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, if, you're, if you've got this spark and you want to do things and you've got all these crazy ideas, what does it really take? We're going to talk about that, or Allie's going to talk about that with her old professor, Mark Ventresca. We're not going to wait anymore. Here's Allie's conversation with Mark Ventresca. Mark Francesca, welcome to the show. Allison, thank you so much for having me and thank you for coming to Oxford to visit and to talk. What I'm really excited to talk to you about is these kind of myths of entrepreneurship. There's a big aura around this idea of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And sometimes it's not entirely different than what you expect. And so I'm excited for our listeners to get kind of a deeper dive into to what these myths are and the way that you're thinking about them. So first... Can you unpack for me what you think an entrepreneur is? Because I think it's a term that a lot of us throw around, but we may not even always know what we're talking about. Let me agree with you. I think entrepreneurs are many things, first of all. The term everyone I think knows comes from a French word to put between. Uh, that's an interesting idea that it's someone who actually stands between and does work between other actors in an economy or in a market. The word entrepreneur is powerful today. It often connotes for people a lot of grit, a lot of energy, a lot of risk, often someone who's trying to have an idea and is trying to make that idea become a business, often to make money, more often to change the world for the better. So the idea of an entrepreneur, I think, is so powerful today. Let me make three quick observations directly relevant to what you just asked. One is, that's pretty recent. For a long time, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs were not seen as culturally valued or culturally legitimate actors. They were people who couldn't get a regular job. Really? So that idea of entrepreneur as kind of a, a hero or a magical person is really culturally local and pretty recent. So the first point is the work of entrepreneurs is many things. But the word itself reminds us that entrepreneurs are people who are between and interdependent with other people. That's a cultural understanding I think we've lost. We tend to think of entrepreneurs as solo individuals, especially risk-taking or especially yeah. brave or especially imaginative. And I'm going to encourage all of us to really remember entrepreneurs are often people who are interdependent with many other people and have to really understand how to work with lots of different kinds of people to get the things done they want. 
when you're an entrepreneur, there is no comfortable, safe structure around you. So really, you're making connections with people in all different parts of the business, from sourcing to retail to selling to bank loans. You're really part of that world, part of that skill set is being able to connect with many, many kinds of people on many issues. Mm. We're also at a time, I think, when many people are proud to call themselves entrepreneurs. That's become a kind of a badge of honor. It is, That yeah. I'm willing to go it alone. I'm willing to get out and do something. I think something needs to be different different or better. You know, there's that strong kind of view today, I think, of entrepreneurs. And some people refer to social entrepreneurs. I'm less likely to make a distinction. But there's a strong sense that entrepreneurs are people who actually go after issues or difficulties or problems in the world. They want to fix them. They want to correct them. I find a lot of encouragement in that, actually, because I think there's a lot of people who are fearful of becoming an entrepreneur because of that myth of standing alone and being on your own and being that kind of sole person. And you're right. I've never thought about it this way. When you stand back, it's all about interconnectivity and it's all about partners and team and those who you work with in order to make your dream into reality. So I think it's actually a tremendous encouragement, especially for those considering taking a leap into mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I do want to go back to one comment that you made that I thought was so interesting. You said that you don't see a difference between entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs, which I'd love to get more of your thoughts on just as a sidebar, because I've come out of the social impact, social mm -hmm. entrepreneurship space. Mm -hmm. The idea there was social entrepreneurs are people who want to use market-based forces. They want to build businesses that will change the world for the better. And the contrast there was typically with entrepreneurs who were more interested in making money and in trying to advantage themselves in that sense and contrasting those entrepreneurs who build businesses in all domains and all industries for all kinds of reasons basically to commercialize an idea. What are those two groups of people doing? I think they're doing pretty much the same thing. Fascinating. They may be doing them for different reasons. Yeah. They may do them in different sequences. But at base, I think all entrepreneurs, whatever their goals are, whether it's pure profit or building a business that is market viable with an end to accomplishing some other objective, all of those entrepreneurs have to have ideas. Mm -hmm. They have to have people who work with them. They have to get funding somewhere. They have to build organizations. They have to understand how markets get built. Right? For me, I would say I treat entrepreneurs as entrepreneurs. Okay, let's get to the next myth. You say most entrepreneurs think their work is going to be high risk, high reward, which that is absolutely something I associate with entrepreneurship. Why do you think that's wrong? I think those ideas come out of finance. Hmm. The idea there, if you think about basic finance insights, capital that's risky should return more to you. In other words, if you're taking a greater risk in loaning money to somebody, you might expect to have greater rewards based on that risk, right? Correct. And so if something was not risky, you would not expect a lot of reward. That idea, which is a powerful idea within finance, has sort of tracked its way into the entrepreneurial space. We could imagine how that happened through some funding channels or through some popular ideas like the movie Wall Street or The Wolf of Wall Street. We can imagine how those ideas around high risk necessarily needs to be associated with high reward. When we look at a lot of entrepreneurs, people who are actually entrepreneurs, that is building businesses, creating value, working in different communities, most of them, I would say, work from a couple of core logics. They want to fix something. They want to tinker. They want to make something better. Mm. They want to use their skills and their abilities 
to create value in some new way. Now, those are all really valuable things to do. Today, I think everyone would like to have a good income or make a lot of money, right? But I think the language of multiples, you know, 100 times, multiple of 100 or whatever, I don't think most entrepreneurs talk that way. They may talk that way in a few places, especially where there's a lot of venture capitalists. I was going to say, yeah, VCs love those multiples. Absolutely right. And so you find that kind of talk more where there are more venture capitalists and where more entrepreneurs are funded by venture capitalists. I think that's a learned language. And I guess my point in that kind of material that you're talking about was to disconnect the idea that somehow entrepreneurship is fundamentally about risk and reward. It may be for some people, but I think that it's unhelpful to make that the primary way we think about entrepreneurs. We'll be back with the rest of Allison's interview with Mark Ventresca in just a moment. Listen, if you have a company and you have about 10 to 20 people that you need to get together into a room and all get on the same page, that is really help each other understand this is why we exist, this is how we serve our customers, this is what is the most important, and here's how we're going to talk about our brand forevermore, then what you need is a private workshop. Story Brand sends out facilitators to teach private workshops in your building, the building of your choice, the place of your choice, so that your entire team together in one day and a half can clarify your message and also, if you want, wireframe a website. Come up with a marketing plan that will allow you to move forward with that message. If that sounds good to you, if you think your company would be completely different after a private workshop than before, if you think people are too confused about what you offer right now and not on the same page, the private workshop will work. Go to storybrand.com slash private workshop storybrand.com slash private workshop. Get your workshop on the calendar today. Storybrand.com slash private workshop. Now, there's also this kind of general thought that entrepreneurship is kind of a fix for unemployment. That's another myth that exists. What are your thoughts oh, on that's that? A t- you're, you're asking tough questions. That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. Though. That's a great question. So here we are. This is a complicated picture. The populations are changing. There's turbulence in the economy. Jobs are changing. There may be fewer jobs or less good jobs. And in the last couple of years, a number of intellectuals, a number of policymakers, a number of government officials have said, oh, we have lots of unemployment. Let's encourage people to become entrepreneurs. Think about that for a second. The thinking there is, okay, these entrepreneurs are going to create jobs, they're going to create activity, and they're in some sense going to replace the jobs that are not being created in more traditional forms of industry or in more traditional social sector engagement. So I'm skeptical of that, and I stand with many people who've done a lot of research on that in saying, I'm not sure that entrepreneurship is the solution to unemployment. I think it's great to support and encourage entrepreneurial activity. We know that can help revitalize communities. We know that it gives people respect and things to do. We know that it creates possibilities for people to discover and learn in new ways. So I'm a big fan of supporting entrepreneurial activity. When we hook that too closely to saying, oh, that's the solution for unemployment, Mm. in a sense, and again, this is a controversial position, but I'll say it, I think we're letting off the hook Big companies who should be reimagining how they create jobs. We're letting off government officials who should be working hard to understand how do we revitalize 
and re-energize economies that are in fact changing. So what's super fascinating about what you're saying, I'm going to zoom out from the myths for a second, so kind of go in 10,000 feet, but so much of your work and research is around systems thinking and even what it means rather than think of yourself as an entrepreneur to think of yourself as a systems builder. But what you're saying right now about unemployment is even entrepreneurs are part of a much bigger system that needs to exist to solve these more intractable problems. I think a lot of companies today are really investing in incubators, accelerators. They're trying to understand how can they generate another cohort of young entrepreneurs who will help reimagine banking in the face of blockchain, who will help reimagine healthcare in the context of large rising healthcare costs. So what that's not doing though is saying, let's invest long-term in new kinds of technologies and new kinds of capacities. So if we look at the data on trends in corporate venture funding or corporate R&D investment, those trends are very mixed and they're in general dropping. Right? So even though we're interested now in near-term solutions, like let's have lots of entrepreneurs figure out what fintech is, and that's going to help us reimagine the banking industry, even though that's happening, what's not happening is the kind of corporate investment that we saw with AT&T and Bell Labs or the Rand Corporation. We're not seeing those kind of deep, long-term, long-time commitments hmm. to innovation research. I want to zoom into that idea of, I'm zooming out, zooming in. But, I'm getting dizzy. I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that idea of, you know, let's even think about a term we use a lot here is entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur within a corporation. But one of the other myths of entrepreneurship is that you need to be an entrepreneur and not a manager. Yeah. Can you speak yeah. a little bit yeah, to that idea? Yeah, that's a really important question you're raising. So many people equate managing or being a manager with basically sitting locked in some kind of a large bureaucracy and moving small dials to get incremental changes in profit, right? Yeah. I think the idea of a manager has really been devalued. Ironically, in a time when we've culturally valued entrepreneurs very highly, we've come to devalue managers in many ways and to see them as people who are not creative or imaginative or who live in a relatively reduced ambit of work. Right, like you're working from a cubicle instead of Correct. kind of blazing Correct. a new trail. So I think that that's a comparison, oh, don't be a manager, be an entrepreneur. I think that's a difficult and I would say a faulty comparison. So the word entrepreneur has become very popular, as you're saying, Allison. It's become very popular with people saying, well, there's actually a role for people who do work in large corporations, but who work like entrepreneurs. That is, they are entrepreneurs. They're working within well-structured, large-scale businesses of one kind or another, but they bring to that work the sensibility of an entrepreneur. Now, as we said earlier, that doesn't mean they bring a sensibility about taking big risks for big rewards. It means they work from a sensibility of saying, oh, I'm going to assemble resources I don't control. Mm. I'm going to connect people who should be talking to each other around the organization. I'm going to try to take ideas and pioneer those ideas, right? So ironically, entrepreneurs are exactly what we think, what I think entrepreneurs are. So let's take this kind of full circle a little bit. Let's go back to the idea of entrepreneur as hero. We talk a lot about the hero's journey at StoryBrand, and it's something I do a lot of thinking about. And when I step back, I realize I have had this sense of when I think of what it means to be an entrepreneur, it's this heroic risk-taking sort of thing. Unpack your thinking mm -hmm. on that sure. a little bit. Too often we think of heroes as superheroes, Marvel superheroes, right? which is, again, going it alone, toughing it out, having no need for anyone else. And so in that sense, I think the idea of a heropreneur 
the words of our colleague here in Oxford, Daniela Papi Thornton, that idea of a heropreneur sets up lots of problems and actually misspecifies what the work of an entrepreneur often is. Mm. So I'm going to encourage everyone listening to us to this conversation to really be able to hold those contradictory notions. On one hand, we want to have that kind of storytelling and the myth-making, the ability to inspire us when things look grim, when things aren't going well, when money is running short. You need that kind of storytelling to keep alive hope, aspiration, optimism, what's possible. On the other hand, the more kind of comics version of a hero, the superhero, I think that's a less helpful idea for the practice of entrepreneurship. Well, one of the last things I want to touch on before we wrap up is you commonly say that rather than thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur, you should think of yourself as a systems builder. And before I came to Oxford and came to your courses, I'd never really thought about this concept of building systems and systems thinking and systems innovation. And I'm wondering if you could just um, almost coming into the viewpoint of someone listening to the show who is a manager or building a company, what does it mean for these individuals to be bringing a systems thinking approach or systems building approach to their work? So the first thing to think about here is systems for many of us connote bureaucracies or they connote kind of big, overwhelming, often slow moving activity. So I'm not trying to use that vision of a system. What I'm trying to say is that in many of the experiences I know about, in the entrepreneurial experiences I have and others I know have, what you realize quickly is the entrepreneurs who are successful are people who begin to kind of notice and capture resources and then create regular and routine ways that those resources become available to them. And so that's what I mean by system building. In some sense, system building involves three things. It involves noticing what's possible, mm -hmm. where are current resources, who's involved, what kinds of actors and what kinds of people, what kinds of issues are available. Secondly, you have to connect those. You have to connect the dots. And I teach a lot about social networks. Yeah. I think that it's that connecting, being able to create uh, either uh, uh, relationships or friendships or partnerships where you connect people and activities that are right now distributed in space and time and instead begin to connect them. And that's what I mean by a system. It's not a tightly coupled behemoth. It's not a tightly coupled big hunking kind of slow moving bureaucracy. It's beginning to see connections across people and, activity and activities and resources that right now may be either separate or distributed or not in touch with one another. For me, as a guide, the word system builder says, this is your task. You have to notice things that mm. are distributed. You have to begin to understand how they can come together. And then you have to build the capacity and the infrastructure that allow those different pieces to become unified, productive, and in fact, reinforcing of your goals. And that's why I invite people to think about the more descriptive language of being a system builder. It's a much clearer statement of what it is you have to do to build entrepreneurial activity. You know, it's interesting as we're talking, I'm remembering when I took your class in responsible business, there was one day where you had us sketch out an entire mm -hmm. system mm -hmm. and really think through the ecosystem of all yep. the different actors yep. and applications of a business. And it was just interesting as you were talking a few weeks ago, I did that exact same thing with my own company on my iPad. I actually like sketched out the whole entire system of what I wanted to do. And 
I'm a visual thinker, so it helps me almost get my head around everything. But it's now I'm wanting to even go back into it again and go deeper with all of the external parts that are connected to it. And Super. Yeah. I just think it's such a practical way to be thinking about our work is visualizing the systems that we're impacting and what that looks like practically. Brilliant. I mean, again, this is your contribution, Allison. I'm, I'm delighted to hear you say <laughs> that, right? Because you've said exactly what I think is important. You sat down and you said, not what do I have or what is my business? You said, what are all the people I need to interact with? What are all the resources I need? Who's going to impact my new venture, right? Yeah. That's different than saying, I know all those things or I control all those things. Right. By right. mapping all that, you then say, okay, now this is the system that I need to build. How am I going to do this? Who do I need to connect with? Yeah. Who can I interest in this for other reasons, right? So doing that kind of mapping lets you say, I have this here. What I need to have is this fuller, more distributed set of activities and resources. Now I'm being an entrepreneur. I'm actually creating and connecting those. Well, this has been so super fascinating. I could keep talking to you all day, and this is making me really wish being in your class so I could get this once a week. I'm sure you're going to have some story brand listeners flying in to sneak Great. into the back you're, of your well, class. They are welcome, and you are always welcome at Oxford, Allison. <laughs> Thank it's you really so It's really a much. joy to see you again after a year. So I know. Amazing. I yeah. know. It's so good to see yeah. you too. Alrighty. And thank you so much for being on the show with us and all the practical insights you've given us around the midst of entrepreneurship. I just love it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Allie, that was great. Fascinating, right, guys? I feel like I have to sort of recalibrate <laughs> what I pay attention to. Yeah. What hit you about the interview, Allie? So one of my favorite parts of the interview was honestly when he debunked this myth that you go it alone in entrepreneurship. Because I think we yeah. always have this idea that you're like the lone cowboy out on the range or something, that like to be an entrepreneur is a solopreneur. And the reality yeah. is that to do anything significant, you have to have a team. You have to have people around you. And... We talked about that entrepreneurial spirit that maybe is spearheading what you're building, but you need these systems and you need to be a good manager and you need to have uh, just a team of people around you in order to really accomplish anything meaningful. We just had a conversation with Art Laffer for an upcoming podcast. He's the trickle-down economics guy. And he talked about when he was at Stanford, something was happening. He had done like 20 years in the academic community. You know, he's a little tired of it, and he, you know, he was afraid he was going to become kind of a curmudgeon, an ivory tower curmudgeon. And so he thought, I'm going to start my own firm. I'm going to start a research firm, and I'm just going to do research projects about economics for different businesses and politicians and all that kind of stuff. And so he was scared to death, but he, he just put in his resignation letter, not knowing whether the firm would work out. But then he surrounded himself with a few people. It was sink or swim. Like, this team has got to make it. And I just think a huge part of that is actually not just jump ship and go it alone, but actually you and a group of people are going to die unless you get yeah. this done. And he actually said, fear is an amazing motivator. Yeah. It reminds me of the old days when you know I first hired Tim to start Storyline and then Story Brand. But I think if I would have done it alone, it would have taken 10 years longer. But when there's somebody else in it with you, and you're going, we got to do this. I think he's on to something. Well, and I think to, you know, one of the other myths that he talks about is just that need for systems innovation and having this systems mindset. And I think that's a lot of what Tim has brought to the company. And I commend you, Don, for hiring an operational person with those skill sets because you guys have 
amazing systems now, and that's where a lot of the innovation has come from. We didn't have to grow very much before we actually moved JJ over into a systems role, too. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, not just a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. meet with every team member and yeah. keep them accountable to specific goals, Yep. and that's an execution of a system right yep. there. and looking at numbers and the data and all that stuff and figuring out how that impacts the decisions we're making, so yeah, yeah for sure. Well, it's so funny. These things work like an old carburetor in a car you know you got to always be adjusting the gasoline and always yeah, yeah. if you get two systems heavy you start to hurt culture a little bit and that's actually what we're talking about next week and we're going to talk to daniel coyle he's the author of a book called culture code the secrets of highly successful groups so make sure you pay attention next week actually here's a little tease of my conversation with daniel coyle Just understand the dynamic of what you're doing as a leader, because that sort of short-term fear thing, that authoritative approach, it really has worked well for the last hundred years or so in management. I mean, there are many systems and structures built on top of it. The challenge is that the world has changed and the easy problems have been solved. And what's left are really hard problems where knowledge has to be distributed, motivation has to be shared, and you need to have a whole group that almost operates like a, like a school of fish moving through a coral reef, like solving problems and sensing obstacles and moving around them all together, which is not something that can be done by command and control, top-down, fear-based leadership. So that's next week. If you haven't subscribed to the Building a Story Brand podcast, do so on iTunes today. That way it comes to you automatically. You really don't want to miss anything. Another wonderful conversation. JJ, Allie, yes. thank you so much. Pleasure. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. My book, Building a Story Brand, that contains the entire story brand framework, is out wherever you buy books. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.